episode 86, the year the Mets won the World Series. I hit the fog in the afternoon, and the Patriots lost the fucking Super Bowl like champs to the Bears, 46 to Bro, we got the shit kicked out of us that year. That was First, 85, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 85. I, wait, 85 season, Super Bowl game, 86. Yeah, right? that was a Super Bowl yeah, shuffle. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was... The Super Bowl took place in 86, Ryan, but it was the 85 team, so we're yeah. both right, okay? We're yeah. both right? Yeah. <laughs> both sides. Both sides are at, are, are at fault, there are, there are correct people on both sides. There's fine people on both sides of this argument. Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. Ahoy, hoy. And Ryan. Oh, it didn't come through Discord. That's fine. Um, so I've spent the last, like, uh, 27 hours playing the new Call of Duty uh, Modern War Crime Simulator. Yeah. It is fantastic. I, I ate quite a bit for dinner last night, so I felt the Call of Duty this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi oh. Yes. You are correct, sir. Ho! <laughs> oh. And I believe that was biological warfare committed in your bathroom, too. I came out uh, on the top of the scoreboard when I left the bathroom. I won. Um, it is good I left, to it, know I left it all on the field. When the NBA-style buzzer went off when you exited. <laughs> it's good to know that in uh, 2022, you know who I miss? has changed, like, whatsoever. I'll tell you what, I'm going to prove you wrong about what you just said. Okay. Where's Ahmad Rashad and NBA inside stuff? Remember that shit? I mean, I mean, I remember Ahmad Rashad. I love Ahmad Rashad, man. He was so energetic. It was great. He had great, like, little, like, segments on that. Ah, that was when NBA was, like, so much more fun. I don't know why. I still watch yeah. the NBA all the time, by the way. I'm not one of these, like, white supremacist pieces of shit that's like, oh, I can't watch it. Whole league's black. But then they watch football, and the LeBron whole league is James. black. And it's like, fuck is wrong with you, asshole? LeBron James. Yeah. yeah most LeBron, most LeBron. sports except for uh, baseball and, and hockey are, are But black. even baseball even is way more diverse than it's ever yeah. been, you know? And so, like, anybody who makes that argument, I'm like, well, what sports do you watch, dude? And, and also the fact that a lot of, of uh, <laughs> hockey is the of, only white sport left, and there's and, still and like then, black people on hockey teams, like for sure. Yeah, and um, like, there's uh, another guy too, like uh, so PK Subban. And, yeah, there's PK Subban, and I know he used PK Subban. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, that he was the other one. Play for the Canadians, and I only know this because the Canadians right. came Dennis Rodman to Boston <laughs> to play. And, the worm. Uh, yeah, home team, strong team, screaming the N-word at this dude while he's playing hockey. And I'm like, <laughs> are you fuck fucking wrong serious, with That's just the most, that's the most Boston yeah. thing ever. Yeah. It's like I, a I, Donald I, Trump uh, Donald Trump event. Oh, the N-word. No, no, not that N-word. I saw it in the news <laughs> and I was like, idiot. are you serious, guys? Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, way to be Bostonians, bro. Way to gotta be, be care- Boston. You, you gotta be careful criticizing well, Donald Trump right now. You might, and, you might get attacked about- with a hammer. And, and the thing about those sports were, uh, well, no, they were just going after her uh, her husband because you know, of all the bad things he did. It had nothing to do with politics. <laughs> Unbelievable! Like, did, just did, I don't did even want to get into guy, it. But just he was a you, oh yeah, he's a fucking loony Ben. Oh, he, this he, picture he did of him? like a rev- well, no, he did. I don't see a picture of him, but I saw like apparently he posted like one of those like Gamergate like reviews of yeah. uh, Black Adam talking about how like. 
Black Adam is, is like proof that like Will Hollywood has failed because it's like the best movie ever and it didn't do as well as like other movies. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fucking. I mean, I hope our husband is better because violence is not the answer. But uh, holy shit, dude. How are you going to break into someone like fucking senator's house with a hammer and attack her husband while asking where his wife is where's and nancy then get, and then get caught like i mean i mean he was probably drunk at the time so yeah drunk on QAnon theories i'm about to say he was a q no no i mean i mean QAnon, nancy pelosi's he? husband oh no <laughs> <laughs> paul pelosi oh no paul, paul Pro- pelosi probably oh, what do you want you son of a bitch oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Oh my god, dude. So, anyway, so speaking, speaking of Nancy people, Pelosi's husband. Speaking of people getting the shit kicked out of him with a hammer. <laughs> By wackadoos. Well, you know, it's that time of the season, and, you know, like all sort of uh, punk rock alternative, you know, sort of groups, we're going to sell out. We're going to sell out hard by doing another seasonal special. You know, the the Christmas album of, of Conspiracy Podcast. Excellent. And that's why we're going to start our, our two-part series on the JFK assassination conspiracy theory. Let's go! Yes! Oh my I'm god. I'm here for this. All I can think of is uh, Glenn Danzig. President on in the body in the street. Ride, Johnny, ride. I thought you were saying that we were going to do it's that time of year. We're going to do an episode on Fest because Fest is currently going on in Gainesville and all I smell is fucking patchouli. That's it. Everywhere. Texas is the reason that the president's dead. Oh, I love that song. We used to fucking I sing that shit in high school. Story of, <laughs> I always have my story of a bunch of uh, bunch of uh, kids uh, beating up a cough at Fest. Hysterical every time I think about it. Just a, just a gang of punk kids just beating that's, up a cop. <laughs> that's fucking. That's just ridiculous. I, it was it was it was crazy. Like, it's part of the like, reason I got out of that community is that as you got older in the punk community, as you got older, it got more violent and more drug based and more like um, puritan. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a fan of violence against anyone. Like I think the police should stop. Bad cops should stop what they're doing. People should not be attacking police officers. Nobody should be attacking senators' husbands or senators. It doesn't solve the fucking problem. And, uh, like, all those fucking punk kids, man, it was just... Either you were getting high or you were, like, committing, like, violence or crimes. And it was just like, I'm out of this shit, It was also a, a pretty justified, like, arrest because it was a guy on a bike who wouldn't get out of, like, the middle of the road. Yeah. And the cop, like, the cop, like, told him to, like, get out of the way and, like, gave him plenty of time. And the guy didn't. And then the cop's like, all right. And then he went to arrest him. But the thing was, it was in the middle of, like, a block party. Right. Of, like, 400 people. Mm. Yeah, it's da- that's very dangerous. That's very um, dangerous for a cop and to then, do. And then, uh, and then a lot more cops came right after that. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> if you, I mean, as long as the cop gave him a reasonable amount of time, you know what I'm saying? As long as he didn't, like, go on the loudspeaker of his car, like, hey, move, and then the kid had literally a split second to move, and he didn't yeah. try to, like, jump out of his car and tackle him, whatever. Yeah, to me, that's a, that's a loss of, of control, yeah. and uh, and it's the cop's fault. It's like, not the guy the kid on the bike. A, the kid might be intoxicated if he's on a bike, like, and I'm assuming you mean just, like, a Schwinn or a Huffy, like, he's on the a bike. The biggest problem with... The biggest no, problem was with, a fixie. The biggest problem with police officers in this country is qualified immunity. Oh, God, get rid of that. And, oh. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of immunity... But, uh, so first we're going to start talking about the actual, like, factual things that we know about the trip to Dallas that precipitated the, the assassination. 
Um, and that was that, that Kennedy had originally gone to Dallas as part of his uh, his campaign for, for re-election in 1964. Um, and also to smooth over uh, the growing frictions that were happening in the Democratic Party, uh, mainly between the liberal politicians Ralph Yarborough, John Yarborough, and the, the governor of Texas, John uh, Connolly. Um, so a lot of this was also uh, agreed upon um, by uh, then-Vice President uh, Lyndon Bain Johnson um, and Governor Connolly uh, during a meeting they had in El Paso in June of 1963. Mm. Um, so uh, Kennedy's goals were to, um, to attempt to raise uh, funds for his uh, campaign um, in 1964 um, to sort of uh, cement in, you know, uh, Texas for his, um, for his re-election in 1964. Um, and also to try to mend, as I said, the, the divisions that were growing within the Texas Democratic Party um, as these two sort of like disparate groups begin to fight with each other. Because it's one of the things that, you know, like conservatives will bring up, you know, like, well, you know, back in the day, the Democrats were the, the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, you know, my God. You know? and it's like, God. Well, oh, my God. As if it's, it's as if it's fucking relevant at all. But but the thing about that is, is that. The Democratic Party and, and the Republican Party very much during these time periods were very much um, somewhat big tent parties. Right. And Southern Democrats and Northern Democrats were, were very divided. Um, and even within Southern Democrats, you have this growing wing of, of what would become like the Dixiecrats and who would eventually become Republicans, who are the racist um, pro-segregation Yeah, uh, isn't that the Southern strategy? Yeah. Well, yeah, it eventually becomes a Southern strategy in the 80s. Right. Um but, but at this time, it, there's still this division. Um, the Republican Party doesn't really want to touch it, because uh, at this time, um, Nixon will be their main guy. In the 64 election, uh, Barry Goldwater um, ends up being their candidate, who is like a very like far-out like libertarian candidate. Um, he, he's also seen as being like a warmonger. Um, he, he essentially wanted to, like, he advocated essentially for like nuking Vietnam Jeez. and like just being more aggressive with the Soviet Union. Jesus, dude. Calm down. I mean, at, at that point in time, they knew fucking damn well what nukes did. Like, yeah. it wasn't, like, up for debate what would happen if you nuked Vietnam. And yeah. and the nukes by 19, the 1950s had gotten drastically more powerful. Like, orders of magnitude more powerful, you know? Like, that fucking... Like, well, well, just yeah, look the, at, like, the, the Bikini Atoll incident. Like, I mean, the nuke was so big... That it yeah, affected the, the hydrogen bombs. Yeah, it, ex- it it affected three continents in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> you can always find the shittiest people because they're the ones that are just flippantly willing to uh, just ju- chuck Yeah, nukes. just nuke them. Yeah, yeah just, just yeah, turn that place gone. into a parking lot. Blast in, the Middle East is what I'm saying. And, and ironically, like Goldwater ends up at the end of his life being like one of the last like like true like quote unquote like good libertarians. Because uh, in the 80s, he gets, like, really mad about the direction the Republican Party's going, because that's when they fully, like, marry themselves to the religious right, which he wants, like, no part of. Because he's very big in the separation of church and state. And while he does, like, oppose um, civil rights, uh, the, the reason why he, he sort of is opposed to it is because of his whole argument that the government shouldn't be able to, like, tell people who they can and cannot, like, serve at their businesses. So he's very much... Not not saying that he's right in that, but I'm just saying in terms of his principles, he's very much in the thing that, like, the government shouldn't make laws on abortion. The government shouldn't make laws about, like, right. a lot of things that dictate the everyday lives of Americans. Right. And, and at the end of his life, he's, like, a big critic against that. 
Um, and, and like where Ronald Reagan is taking the party and, and he doesn't like Ronald Reagan as well because Ronald Reagan kind of stole his like thing. Well, and do it as well. <laughs> well, we're just going to steal Barry Goldwater's strategy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the trip was announced in September of 1963, um, and the route for the motorcade had been finalized on November 18th, um, and was announced soon after that. I believe it was allowed, announced uh, in late December, back in 63. Um, what a very special... No, I'm sorry. I had to do it. I was say, Steve, he, he was dead by then. I literally have to do it. I'm sorry. Allegedly. my bra- I grew up with that. I think we got it from my mom. Like... We would be playing Trivial Pursuit, and if an answer had a question that could be referenced by song lyrics, she would start humming the lyrics and be like, Mom, you're banned from Trivial Pursuit. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you're banned. You can't play anymore. That's a, that's a yellow card. <laughs> yeah. I, no, that was a, that was a red, red card. That was a red card. Immediately. Well, no, she'd be, she'd be banned for the season. Ah, that's true. That's true. Um... So as the as this is all uh, finalized, uh, Kennedy's itinerary would be that they would arrive at Dallas Love Field um, via a, a short flight from Carswell Air Force Base in, in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, the motorcade uh, would go through Dallas uh, with Kennedy and Connolly and, and their wives together in a single limousine uh, with uh, Johnson and his wife uh, two cars behind. Um, and it was uh, sort of designed to give Kennedy like a maximum exposure to the local crowds. Uh, before he arrived at a luncheon at a Dallas market center, uh, where he would uh, meet with civic and business leaders. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and that was like, and, and that was like one of those like nineteen sixties like cafeteria type deals. Nineteen um, sixties so cafeteria type deals. More like it was still like somewhat like fancy, like like when you hear cafeteria today, uh, like, you think women, of, like women women wearing like, like those like demure dresses and all the men in suits kind of thing. Yeah, okay. like yeah, yeah. Like the like the first <clears throat> half of like Mad Men, like right. I got you. Um, I have not seen Mad Men, but I've seen enough of of, of clips from it to get the analogy. Yeah, that's why I won't even watch it. I'm like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it's an excellent show, by the way. It's one of the best. Shows I like John Hamm. I, for, I you know we do know things about him now that you know make me not like him, but I like John Hamm as an actor. Um. And the the destination had been chosen by Kenneth O'Donnell, who was one of uh, who's Kennedy's appointment secretary and friend, um, as as being the destination. Um, after leaving Dallas Love Field, the motorcade had been allotted forty five minutes to reach the trademark, um, and it had, and its planned arrival time was at twelve fifteen p.m. Um, so the itinerary, as it was designed, was they were supposed to take a ten mile route, where they would sort of go very slowly through this route. Which would allow the uh, the motorcade um, to sort of uh, be very like visible to people, so people like could come out and see uh, the president. And also, if we're talking about 1963 in Dallas, they were not friendly to JFK. This was not Which, JFK going into a friendly area, like uh, if you were to go tour through like Cape Cod or something. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's also to uh, to be noted as well. That, that Connolly is, is a conservative, and he's also a big fan of the John Birch Society. And the oh, John Birch no. Society um, believes that, like, Kennedy is, like, a secret communist. Like, like everything, like, people say about, like, <sighs> Joe Biden, 
Like they they're essentially saying about like John F. Kennedy. <laughs> it's very which, which I, yeah. They were very very much like in hostile territory going on this parade route. Like I believe that there was even a uh, a, a statement made by JFK talking about like if we make it through Dallas alive or some dumb shit like that. But it's like God damn, bro. Like how does even this guy knows that Dallas is not a place to be fucked with. Yep. Um, Special Agent Winston G. Lawson, who was a member of the White House detail. Winston. Um, who, who acted as the uh, advanced Secret Service agent on this trip. Um, and Secret Service agent uh, Forrest uh, V. Sorrells, who was the special agent in charge of the Dallas office, um, were the most active in planning the actual motorcade route. Um, on November 14th, both men attended a meeting at Love Field um, and drove over the route that Sorrells believed was best suited for the motorcade. Um, from Love Field, the route passed through a suburban section of Dallas, uh, through the downtown along Main Street, a right turn on North Houston Street for one block, a left turn on Elm Street, passing through Dealey Plaza, and down a short segment of Stemmons uh, Freeway to the trademark. I mean, it should be noted that where um, where Dealey Plaza is is like right in downtown Dallas, and there's also like nothing really around it other than like sort of like commercial um, real estate and like office buildings. Yeah, you've got a courthouse there. Um, a lot of court buildings is you know the county record. Yeah, a lot of what a government stuff. It's like it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a downtown area. It's it's a downtown it's, you know tight lot of buildings. And where he comes out of Dealey Plaza is actually where it opens up, so you don't have a lot of those buildings and things. But but the area just give you an idea. It's not like it, it's not a residential area when people think of like downtown cities. Like there's not a lot of like like restaurants or stuff like that it's purely like a business and government like area right um so kennedy had planned to return to love field um to leave for a fundraising dinner at austin later that day um for the return trip the agents had selected a more direct route that was about four miles um with some of the route um uh that would be used on the uh, the previous uh route that he had taken um the planned route to the trademark was widely reported in dallas newspapers several days before the event uh, for the benefit of people who wish to see the president. That is just... Anyway. Like, think about how that is, like, crazy nowadays. Like, to announce w- exactly which direction the president's going to be, and then to openly have a limousine with no protection. That's crazy to me. I well, mean... Yeah, it, but we have to remember during the time period as as well, like, it was sort of like more of a, a like a parade, um, and, and people weren't as armed as they are today. Although, also, you can um, make a case for it that wait a minute. fine because the Secret Service does their job so excellently that the president people is allowed weren't, outside of the beast to walk, what, a mile and a half to their inauguration. People in Texas weren't as armed? I think they were probably yeah. more armed in Texas. No, they were less armed. Really? It's gotten, it's gotten progressively well, worse. Well, I mean, I think of, the number of guns people own has definitely gone up, but Texas yeah, seems the, like a... The number of, the number of guns... Like, Texas has like more well they had more stringent gun laws than like Florida had. So like the the idea you have is probably huh. probably skewed by how things are here in terms of like how things were in Texas because Texas was also a part of the West which was like heavily regulated. Yeah, like, out, it's pretty like, it's like pretty weird was, here. It's pretty weird here, dude. You get emails from like local gun shops and they're like, "Yeah, today it's all all new $189 for a handgun that holds 19 rounds." It's like I'm sorry. Yeah, coming today. You can get it today. You can buy five. Because people admit, like, about the Wild West, is that like you couldn't take your guns into town. Like, like when you went to, like, when you went into town, you had to take your guns and you had to, you had to turn them in. 
Like, and if you didn't turn them in, you'd get arrested. Because that's what the gunfight at the OK Corral was about, was that the, the rival gang wouldn't turn in their guns. Hmm. That, that, they, that they had a legal obligation to turn in their guns, and they wouldn't due to not trusting the Earths. So they, the shootout ensued after that. Hmm. Um, so, so, like, out west, they actually do have, like, like pretty stringent gun controls. So, and, and this is also during a time period where, like, the prolifera- uh, proliferation of, like, actual, like, combat-level, like, firearms are, are not really around. Which, which the rifle that, that does end up killing Kennedy was bought through, like, an NRA uh, catalog that, that was a military rifle that had essentially been being sold as, like, a hunting rifle. The rifle that killed John Kennedy was an AR-15 being held by Secret Service agent George... H- I'm sorry, we'll get to this. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, as it, to, in order for it to, uh, the motorcade to go through downtown Dallas, um, a route west along Main Street rather than Elm Street, uh, one block up to the north was chosen since this was the traditional parade route and provided the maximal uh, building and crowd views. Uh, the Main Street section of the route uh, prevented a direct turn onto the Fort Worth Turnpike exit, uh, which also uh, served as a, an exit for the uh, Stevens Freeway, um, which was the route to the uh, Trade Mart, as this exit was only accessible from Elm Street. Uh, so the, the planned motorcade route included a short one-block turn at the end of the downtown segment of Main Street onto Houston Street from one block northward before turning west onto Elm, that way, it could proceed through Dealey Plaza uh, before exiting Elm onto the Stemmons Freeway. Um, the Texas School Book Depository uh, was and, and still is situated at the northwest corner of Houston and Elm Streets intersection. At the northwest corner of the IKEA parking lot in Secaucus, New Jersey. <laughs> Why does that sound familiar? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that School Book Depository is now in the uh, Register of Historic Buildings, so they're not going to get rid of it. It's it's a museum. It's a museum now. Okay. Yeah, I've I've been there. Oh, have you really? Um, yeah, it's it's a museum, and they have like, like when you go up to the floor where, uh, where Oswald allegedly was, um, they they have it like set up as it would have been like when he like did the shot or like you, how it was found with like the rifle. Can uh, you look out the window? Can you stand in yeah, place? Oh no! So listen, here's the question: You can't stand in place. Oh, okay, you can't stand in place. That's uh, terrible. <laughs> I was going to say, because, like, if you go to that viewpoint, from what I understand, because I've never been to Dallas, so I, I, I would love to go to Dealey Plaza, but from what I understand, it is not that far, because there's a white X on the, I know there's a white X on the street, like, where Kennedy was actually hit uh, in his head, and I know that, from what I've understood, standing in that window, it's not as far as everybody thinks it is, like, you're not even yeah, a full football field away. That, that's that's kind of why I'm I'm, like, very much on the side that, like, that Oswald was there, like shooting. Yeah. Um, because like the like people talk about how it's like this impossible shot when it's not. No, it's it's um, it's a couple hundred feet. It's not impossible by and, any stretch of the imagination. And and Oswald had like military training, although he was like a fuck up. Um, that like it wasn't impossible for someone with his training to like make the shot as as like because because a lot of the documentaries that like to say like ah oh, it's impossible for someone to make this shot are, are ones that like have money in keeping the conspiracy theories like going yeah yeah you get the guys who are like there's no way he could have got off three shots out of that carcano rifle that he was holding and then the person that they like set up to test that theory is like 86 years old with arthritic fingers who like takes a full fucking like six seconds to just rack the bolts like come on man 
Get somebody who's in their twenties. Like I was, who can I was there. I had just, <laughs> I had just gotten out of the army when I when I came to see Mister Kennedy in, in downtown Dallas. This is the same <laughs> rifle I used in World War One. I. <laughs> I was there. I just beat my wife and told her to stay home, and I was down there. <laughs> I'm a classic Texas white. Yeah, so yeah, so the uh, distance from the de- book depository to the spot is not that far. It is absolutely uh, uh, a a viable shot, if you will. Um, so the the motorcade would use uh, three vehicles for Secret Service and police protection. You know, like the way you're arguing it there, kind of was like <laughs> it was almost like a guy watching sports who was just like, I could fucking do that better than that guy. <laughs> <laughs> If I was there, them. if I was there taking the I shot, could I could have done that. Better than that. It's guy. like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that out of shape armchair quarterback watching Brady yeah. to throw, and he's like, "Oh, this fucking bum." This Joe Burrow that? guy, he's a piece of shit. I could throw the ball. How much you want to bet I could throw the football over that mountain? Like that, like that clip I have of that that Yinzer yelling about Mac Canada. Oh my um, god. <laughs> anyway, so they so, repeat what you just said. So there were there were three cars that were given for uh, Secret Service and police protection. Uh, the first car was an unmarked uh, Ford uh, hardtop carrying uh, Dallas Police Chief Jesse Curry, Secret Service Agent Wynn Lawson, and Sheriff uh, Sheriff Bill Decker and Dallas Field Agent Forrest Sorrells. Uh, the second car, a 1961 Lincoln Continental convertible, um, was occupied by um, Agent Bill Greer, the driver, um, Special Agent... Um, Roy Kellerman, uh, Governor John Connolly, Nellie Connolly, President Kennedy, and Jackie and um, and First Lady Jackie Kennedy. The third car, right, I, Jackie. Oh, sorry, song stuck <laughs> a, in my head. A, a third car, a 1955 Cadillac convertible, codenamed uh, Halfback, uh, contained driver um, Agent Sam Kinney, um, Agent uh, Emery Roberts. Um, the presidential aides uh, Ken O'Donnell agent and Dave Emery Powers. Board. Um, driver um, agent George Hickey. George um, Hickey. <laughs> and PRS agent uh, Glenn Bennett. It's a birthmark. It's George a birthmark. No, he he did it, man. Like listen, Oswald you know, took some shots, but Hickey is the one that actually halfback, connected. You know what a halfback is from Florida, right? It's someone yeah. who moves to Florida and then moves to North Carolina. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, Secret Service agents uh, Quint Hill, uh, Jack Jack Reedy, um, Tim McIntyre, and Paul Landis uh, rode on the running boards of the car. So on the side of the car, Clint. Right, they were they were uh, they were skitching. Clint Hill is the guy. If you remember the JFK assassinations photos, Clint Hill is the guy who like not jumped, but like he fucking like jumps from the third limo. Jumps down, runs, and jumps into the second limo, and like jumps on top of Jackie Kennedy. There's a pretty good, cool picture of him. Like it's a like a motion shot, if I remember correctly. Like everything's blurry because it's like somebody in a camera is like mm. kind of following the car, mm-hmm. the camera. But he's like jumping into the back of the car. <laughs> it's kind of cool. That's crazy. Um, on November 22nd, after a breakfast speech at um, at Fourth Force, um, Kennedy had stayed overnight um, after arriving from San Antonio. Um, uh, after visiting uh, San Antonio, Houston, and um, uh, from Washington, D.C. the previous day. Um, Kennedy had boarded Air Force One, which departed at 1110, um, and arrived at Love Field 15 minutes later. Um, at about 1140, uh, Kennedy's motorcade left Love Field uh, for the trip through Dallas, uh, running on a schedule about 10 minutes longer um, than the planned 45, 
um, due to the um, enthusiastic crowds estimated to be around 150,000 to 200,000 people um, and two unplanned stops directed by Kennedy. Um, Kennedy's uh, car um, uh, entered uh, Dealey Plaza at 12.30 p.m. Um, Nellie Connolly, uh, the first lady of Texas, uh, turned to Kennedy, um, who was sitting behind her, and commented, uh, Mr. President, you can't say Dallas doesn't love you. Um, and Kennedy replied to her, no, you certainly can't, uh, which were his last words. Ah, foreshadowing. Um, from Houston Street, the limousine made a planned left turn. That's, on like, a, that's like an anime level death flag, <laughs> you know? On, on route I'm to definitely not going to get shot today. No, I'm certainly no, not. There's no way. Mr. President, there's no way you're going to get shot leaving Dallas today. You know, in retrospect, I mean, I hate to victim blame, but, like, it's kind of, like, really fucking stupid. Like, the whole thing to me has always struck me as incredibly fucking stupid and naive to think that he would ever be safe in that situation. I just... Like, remember, and he and he ultimately has the choice of whether he's going to do that or not. Like he doesn't have to do it, you know. He doesn't well, have to be in that fucking limo like that, right. like a well, fucking well, stunat. Well, also, right. like no, no one in history has been has been killed in this like fashion. Like, Could, like no, like no one's been assassinated in this way. It's always been up close and personal, like Lincoln in the in the theater box. It's always somebody very close, like the guy, even like after Kennedy, the guy that shot Reagan. Uh, what's yeah, but you're the fucking president of the United John States. John you Hinkley, fucking yeah, John Hinckley was right next to him when you took a shot at him. For Excuse some me. reason, apparently the idea of somebody using a long rifle to take a shot at a distance is just completely unheard, like outside of the realm of possibility, according to nah. The see, he he, they're fucking stupid. Then yeah, they were no, they were no. absolutely. Absolutely, they. La- I blame the Secret Service then more than anyone else. If they ultimately made the decision that it was safe, which I'm, I'm sure Steve's going to get to, but like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Even there's no way it's a retrospect thing. Get the fuck out of here. That's yeah. unbelievably fucking heinous. But again, it makes I, no I, sense. I, I want to go back to inauguration day. To this day, they still let the president walk down just fucking Broad Street, walking over to was it Capitol? I do believe. Sworn? That the Secret Service does a better job now uh, at containing things. I hope so, but she's. Um, so as it turned, um, as it turned um, down, uh, down through Dealey Plaza, um, it passed by the Texas School Book Depository, and it continued down Elm Street when the shots were fired. Um, about eighty percent, eighty percent of the witnesses recalled hearing three shots. Um, at the book depository, uh, a man liquor. Uh, Caracano rifle uh, and three shell casings were found um, at an open window um, on the book depository sixth floor. Mm-hmm. Um, short, short, shortly after Kennedy began waving, a few witnesses recognized the first gunshot for what it was, uh, but there was little reaction from most of the crowd or those riding in the motorcade. Um, many later said they imagined that they had heard a firecracker or a vehicle backfiring. Um, the Warren Commission, uh, based on studying the Zapruder film, uh, found that the limousine had traveled an average speed of 11.2 miles per hour um, over the 186-foot stretch of Elm Street immediately uh, preceding the fatal headshot. Uh, a Texas School Book Depository employee, Bonnie Ray Williams, uh, testified that he recognized Oswald as someone whom he saw on the sixth floor twice before the assassination took place. Mm. Um, within one second of each other, uh, Governor Connolly and Mrs. Kennedy turned abruptly 
uh, from looking to their left to looking uh, to their right, uh, beginning at the Zapruder film frame uh, 162. Um, Connolly, who was a, a veteran of World War II, uh, like Kennedy, and was a longtime hunter, um, he testified that, imme- that he immediately recognized the sound as that of a high-powered rifle um, and turned his head and torso uh, rightward to see Kennedy behind him. Um, he testified he could not see Kennedy, uh, so he then started to turn uh, forward again, uh, turning from his right to his left, um, and that when his head was facing around 20 degrees left of center, he was hit in the upper right back by a bullet uh, that he did not hear fired. Um, the doctor who operated on Connolly estimated that his head at the time he was hit had been 27 degrees left of center. Um, after Connolly was hit, he had shouted, Oh no, my God, they're going to kill us all. Who? Wait, who? <laughs> let's go back. Who? Who is going to kill us all? What did he think that was under attack? Like the communists? Or, or just, I guess, like crazy people? I, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess it's weird that in that moment he said, They are going to kill us all. Like he has an idea of a group of people that are coming. Well, well I'm, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm assuming he assumes it's the far right who's come for Kennedy because there isn't a far left in Texas. Like, like maybe if it was like in New York in the 1960s, like, like assuming that it would be leftists would be, or, or California, that would be like a reasonable assumption. But I'm assuming he thinks it's you know, like, you know, far right people. Okay, he doesn't think it's like like uh, the CIA, or the FBI, or the mafia, or Castro sending people. It's debatable. <laughs> um, uh, Mrs. Connolly testified that after hearing a loud, frightening noise that came from somewhere behind her and to her right, she turned toward Kennedy and saw him raise up his arms and elbows um, and his head in front of his uh, face and throat. Um, she then heard another shot um, and then Governor Connolly yelling. Uh, Mr. Connolly then turned away from Kennedy toward her, or Mrs. Connolly then turned away from Kennedy toward her husband. At which point another gunshot sounded, and both she and the limousine's rear interior were covered with fragments of skull, uh, blood, and brain. So when when she testified that the the second shot that she heard and then saw Kennedy raise up his arms and elbows with his hands, that right there to me indicates that was when he got hit in the neck, and more than likely that was going to kill him anyway. Uh, but it looks like it's a nerve reaction, like it's a, he was paralyzed right there, and that was the the body's uh, kind of you know last motor nerve that kind of shoots everything out. That in that moment, that bullet actually paralyzed him. And if you watch the Zapruder film, you watch him kind of bend forward in a very unnatural pose forward, like he's not trying to move his body at all. It's, it's very very like ugh, creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the Warren Commission and the House Select Committee on Assassinations, uh, Kennedy was waving to the crowds on his right uh, with his right arm upraised on the side of the limo uh, when the shot entered his upper back, penetrated his neck, and slightly damaged the spinal vertebra um, and the top of his right lung. Um, and by the way, Kennedy has like a really fucked up back. Like, like Kennedy w- probably would not have lived past the 70s with like the way his health was yeah his back um, was fucked from world war he was II. he was in he was in really bad uh he was in really bad shape and his uh his doctor was not giving him the uh the, the correct uh medication for it that's Apparently pretty classic Monroe was though he he had a he had a his his doctor was effectually referred to as dr feel good <laughs> um so, so he was very much like hitler's doctor as and he was in the like Make make my patient happy and not like make my patient better type. 
Boy, Dr. Doctor. Feelgood's been going around forever because Trump had Dr. Feelgood too, didn't he? Uh, he had a well. He has that. He, Ronnie he has Jackson. that guy that. Yeah, that was. He Dr. has that Feelgood guy that. Him. <laughs> he he has that guy that looks like Brent Spiner from Independence Day. <laughs> yeah, that guy, the Brent, the Independence Day guy. Yeah. yeah get the book. Like, Mike gets the mind control. I know oh, the other guy. Yeah. 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 Um, so the the bullet exited his throat, uh, nearly center line, just beneath the larynx. Um, and nick the left side of his uh, suit tie knot. Um, he raised his elbows and clenched his fists in front of his face and neck, um, and then leaned forward and left. Uh, Mrs. Kennedy facing him, then put her arms around him in concern. Yeah, that is that is he is he is paralyzed from the neck down at that point. Um, and then, according to the Warren uh, Commission's uh, sort of like theory um, on, on what occurred, um, uh, Connolly also reacted after the same bullet penetrated his back. Uh, just before his, uh, just below his right armpit. Uh, the bullet had created an oval-shaped entry wound, impacted and destroyed four inches um, of his uh, right uh, fifth uh, rib, and exited his chest just below his right nipple. Oof. Um, this, this created a 2.5-inch oval-shaped air-sucking chest wound, um, and the same bullet then entered his arm just above his right wrist and cleanly shattered his right radius bone into eight pieces. Mm. Um the bullet exited below his wrist at the the inner side of his right palm and finally lodged in his left inner thigh. So that's two, the, that's, two that's bullets. the magic bullet, right? Yeah, so the, where's the second shooter again? On the grassy knoll? Uh, that, that's one of the theories. Second shooter's in the car right second, behind him. <laughs> second or only shooter. It was Jackie O. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> I really, really want to marry Aristotle Onassis. <laughs> In order to do that, I really want to, she really wants to marry an old Greek magnet. She, so she has to, Jackie O had a derringer in her fucking handbag, and nobody was the wiser. She she had a she had a, she had a derringer that, that specifically fired uh, a six, was it six point five? Uh, <laughs> it was in her fucking box which would have been which would have been like which would have been like huge. Yeah, it'd be like the size of a cereal box. Oh God, the fucking exit wound would have been the size of a fucking steering wheel. There's this one, I forget what gun it is, I can't remember, but there's this one revolver, it's like the Clint Eastwood revolver, but it's even, I think it's slightly larger, like a Magnum, and it's at uh, Bass Pro Shops. When you go, if you go to a Bass Pro Shop and you go is to the Is it the Judge? No, the Judge is, that's just a joke gun. But if you go to, uh, if you go to, uh, don't don't tell uh, that baseball player's wife, though. Wait, so it's not uh, a three fifty seven Magnum that you're talking about right now? It's probably a, a Magnum, but I forget what the actual name of this gun is it's okay. it's at um bass pro shops and it stands out is the barrel f- like a foot long <laughs> it's fucking stupid it's like johnny it's, it's like the gun the joker used to shoot down no the it, it's in yeah, it's like johnny dangerously when he pulls out that gun he's like it shoots through schools <laughs> <laughs> you know danny you really you really uh succeeded all our expectations for you you become a real piece of shit hey no full auto in the hallways thanks johnny (laughs) uh Um, danny vermin so the the warren commission theorized that the single bullet struck sometime between uh supruder frames 210 and 225 while the house select committee theorized that it struck at approximately uh supruder frame 190 and this is the magic bullet that we're talking about correct yes okay um, according to the Warren Commission, a second shot that struck Kennedy was recorded um, at Zapruder uh, film frame 313. 
the commission had made no conclusion as to whether that was the second or third bullet fired. Um, the limousine then passed in front of the John Neely uh, Bryant uh, North Pagoda concrete structure, which if you look at pictures of Dealey Plaza today, it's like the weird like 60s um, sort of like web shape um, rectangle uh, concrete uh, thing that's there. Okay. Mm. It's like it's like a very like 60s like looking thing. Um, and then um, the two investigative committees concluded that the second shot to hit Kenny entered the, the rear of his head. Um, the House Select Committee placed the entry wound four inches higher than the one commission placed it um, and passed in fragments um, through his skull. This created a large, uh, roughly um, oval uh, hole in the rear right side of, uh, of his head. Um, Kennedy's blood and fragments of his scalp, brain, and skull landed on the interior of the car, the inner and outer surfaces of the front glass windshield, the raised sun visors, the front engine hood, um, and the rear trunk lid. Um, his blood and fragments also landed on, on the Secret Service follow-up car um, and its driver's left arm, as well as on the motorcycle officers who were riding on both sides of Kennedy just behind his vehicle. Jesus I'm gonna, Christ. I'm going to have to trigger warning this episode. <laughs> yeah, this is fucking rough, dude. Jesus. Um, the Secret Service um, Special Agent um, Quintel uh, was riding on the left front uh, running board of the follow-up car, which was immediately behind Kennedy's limousine. Uh, Hill testified that he heard one shot then it's documented in the films and the concurrence of Bruder film uh, frame uh, 308. Um, he jumped off into Elm Street and ran uh, forward to the board uh, to board the trunk of the limousine and protect Kennedy. Um, Hill testified to the Warren Commission that he heard the fatal headshot as he was reaching the limousine approximately five seconds after the first shot that he heard. God damn it, Clint Hill. You're, you're a fucking hero. You at least tried, man. I also, uh, though, I have to say, like we're all, we're talking about eyewitness testimony again, which is uh, which which also goes down to like with even all the witnesses, like it, it goes into percentages of what like the people there observed. I found the gun, um, and that's and that's why the Zapruder <laughs> that's why the Zapruder film is also um, like sort of like the key evidence because film is like one of the only things that you can really like trust in a situation like this. Yep. Wait, why can't you trust like photos? Well, yeah, photos. Photo too, is but, a type of film, but 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 also at that time period, like with the the speed of the action and stuff. Oh, you know the, yeah, these aren't like yeah, yeah. these aren't like combat photographers. Yeah, they like weren't getting like, sixty frames per second. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that too, they, they, there was a, a substantial amount of news crews in Dealey Plaza that immediately started interviewing people, and I'm talking about minutes after the, this dude just got fucking splattered, they started interviewing people. Right. And when they interviewed people, they were still getting wildly different accounts of how many shots were fired, where yeah, the that's came a, from. Like, it's crazy. It's like, okay, look, if you need proof that eyewitness testimony doesn't mean jack or shit, look at that right there. Right. Five people in the same, like, I just, I'm picking this number out of a hat, but you can prove it with actual studies that five people in the same area of, of something that occurs... They see five different things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Wild, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so after Kennedy is shot in the head, um, uh, Mrs. Kennedy began uh, climbing onto the back of the limousine, um, though she later had no recollection of doing so. Um, he'll believe she was reaching for something, perhaps a piece of Kennedy's skull. Um, she jumped onto the back of the limousine while at the same time Mrs. Kennedy returned to her seat, um, and he clung to the car as it exited Dealey Plaza and accelerated 
speeding to uh, Parkland Memorial Hospital. Yeah, because people do crazy shit when that kind of stuff happens, man. Which still um, exists today. Parkland Memorial is still there. Um, after Mrs. Kennedy crawled back into her limousine seat, uh, both Governor and Mrs. Connolly heard her repeatedly say, uh, they have killed my husband, I have his brains in my hand. Uh, Mrs. Kennedy uh, recalled, all the ride to the hospital, I kept bending over him saying, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? I love you, Jack. Um, I kept holding the top of his head uh, down, trying to keep the brains in. Uh, Governor Connolly, who was seated directly in front of Kennedy and three inches uh, more to the left than Kennedy, um, he was also seriously injured but survived, as mentioned earlier. Um, Doctors later stated that after the governor had been shot, um, his wife had pulled him into her lap, um, and this resulting posture helped close his front chest wound, uh, which was causing air to be sucked directly into his chest around his collapsed right lung. Yeah, that's fixable, though. I'm not as worried about that as the guy that had half his fucking skull. Well, well yeah, but but they, they said, like, a key thing to him surviving was his wife, essentially, like, inadvertently, like, closing the wound. Yeah. Um, a bystander, um, James Tegg, uh, received a minor wound to his right cheek while standing uh, 531 feet away from the depository 6-4 east, uh, easternmost window. Tag. Tag. Okay. Um... 270 feet in front of and slightly to the right of Kennedy's head, uh, head's facing direction, um, and more than 16 feet below the top of Kennedy's head. Um, Tegg's injury had occurred when a bullet or bullet fragment uh, with no copper casing struck the nearby uh, Main Street South Curb. A deputy uh, sheriff noticed some blood on on Tegg's cheek, um, and Tegg realized that something had struck his face during the shooting. Uh, When Tegg pointed to where he had been standing, the police officer noticed a bullet smear on a nearby curb. Um, nine months later, the FBI removed the curb, and a spectrographic analysis revealed metallic residue consistent with the lead core in Oswald's ammunition. Um, Tegg testified before the Warren Commission and initially stated that he was wounded on his cheek by either the second or third shot of the three shots that he remembered hearing. Uh, when the Commission counsel pressed him to be more specific, Tegg testified that he was wounded by the second shot. Ah, yeah, can't do that, man. If you're not sure, you're not sure. Um, The limousine was passing the Grassy Knoll um, to the north of Elm Street at the time of the fatal headshot. Um, As the motorcade left Dealey Plaza, police officers and spectators ran up the Grassy Hill um, and from the triple underpass to the area behind a five-foot high stockade fence atop the knoll, um, separating it from the parking lot. Uh, No sniper was found there. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee Bowers. So that kind of uh, gets witness- rid of the the grassy knoll like conspiracy theory right there. Yeah, or or they just like were able to get away like very quickly, if if they were there. But it seems unlikely. Okay. Um, Lee Bowers, who was in a two story railroad switch tower, uh, which gave him an unobstructed view of the rear of the stockade fence atop the grassy knoll. Um, he said he saw four men in the area between his tower and Elm Street, two men who seemed not to know each other. Uh, near the triple underpass, some 10 to 15 feet apart, and one or two uniformed parking lot attendants. At the time of the shooting, he saw, quote-unquote, something out of the ordinary, a sort of milling around, which he could not identify. Like somebody was, was, like, standing there, kind of hands in their pockets, kicking sand that he wasn't, like, sure about? Is that what that that means? Just that they had gathered together and he couldn't see what they were doing. Mm. Bowers testified that one or both men were still there when motorcycle uh, police officer Clyde Haygood ran up the grassy knoll to the back of the fence. 
1966 interview, Bowers clarified that the two men he saw were standing in the opening between the uh, the pergola and the fence, um, and that no one was behind the fence at the time the shots were fired. Hmm, okay. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Howard Brennan, uh, a steamfitter who had been sitting across the street from the Texas School, de- uh, School Book Depository, approached police to say that as the motorcycle passed, he heard a shot come from above, then looked up to see a man with a rifle take another shot from the six, uh, f- 6-4 corner window. He said he had seen the same man looking out the window minutes earlier. Um, a police uh, broadcast of Brennan's description of this man at 12.45, 12.48, and 12.55 p.m. was made. After the second shot, Brennan recalled, uh, This man was aiming for the last shot and maybe paused for another second as though to assure himself that he had hit his mark. Um, as Brennan spoke to police in front of the building, they were joined by two book depository employees who had been watching the motorcade from windows at the southeast corner of the building's fifth floor. One reported hearing three gunshots come from directly over their heads and sounds of bolt-action rifle and cartridges dropping on the floor above. I thought um, I thought Lee Harvey was in the northeast corner of the building. Well, I'm sure it echoed because it's a... It's like a wooden, like the inside, like the floors, I believe, are wood. Okay. And and also to the fact that, like, it, it probably echoed a lot. Okay. Um, Dallas police sealed off the exits from the depository approximately at 12.33 and 12.50 p.m. There were at least 104 um, eyewitnesses, uh, or 154 witnesses who heard in Dealey Plaza who were on record the opinion of where the direction the shots came. Uh, 54, around 51%, um, thought that the, all the shots had come from the depository building. Uh, 31% thought, uh, 33 of them, 31%, thought they had came from either the grassy knoll or triple underpass. Uh, 9, about 8.7%, thought that each shot, uh, came from a location entirely distinct from the knoll or the depository. And 5, 4.8%, believed that they had heard shots from two locations, and 3, 2.9% thought that the shots originated from a direction consistent with both the knoll and the depository. And <clears throat> also, we were just talking earlier about how Dealey Plaza is is, is kind of like in a commercial downtown you know area with large buildings and things like that. Uh, noise echoes, folks. It's 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 really really impossible to look at somebody even on different sides of the street to say where did that shot come from, just because of the echoing and the acoustics of how you have to be a professional. Sound. Yeah, and yeah. even if even if you're a professional, you can be acoustics can totally screw you up. Absolutely. Like my house, the way my house is currently set up, if there's a noise out back, it sounds like it's out front. That's crazy. Yeah, it's really weird because of the way that house is currently, and the there's two houses behind it. So it's like, if something happens on the street, it echoes off the one house, and it sounds like it happened right next to the house. It's like, you know. Yeah. And then and you so talk about a gunshot, which is going to echo right. everywhere. Right. And three gunshots at that. So that would easily, you know, why somebody would think, oh, maybe I thought I heard four, because you just heard it echoing, because you're going to hear a crack in the echo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Warren Commission uh, uh, concluded as well that the three shots were fired and said that a substantial majority of the witnesses stated that the shots were not evenly spaced. Most witnesses recalled that the second and third shots were bunched together. So this is interesting. I wonder if anybody's ever set up 
or set up like a board, like an overhead shot of what Dealey Plaza looked like. And then all these hundred something, you know, witnesses that were there and put a little pin into where each one of these people were standing and then a little line to where that person said they heard it. Does that make sense what I'm talking about? So you could see like if I'm groups I'm of sure pe- they have like groups of people all heard it come from this area, we're all standing in this area. I don't want to shoot you down. No pun intended, but uh, I'm pretty sure every angle of this has been analyzed at some point, right? Like without, think so. I think the only thing that could possibly bring out any kind of new information on this might be like some long-held evidence. You know what I mean? This isn't even new information that I'm looking for. I'm just curious if if, if you know there was oh okay all you right. know if oh all these people heard it from the book depository, but all right. of these people were standing on this side of the road and a little bit farther south, whereas the, all these people heard it coming from you know the, the five people who heard it coming from the grassy knoll. Oh, they happened to be standing you know across the street from the grassy knoll and a little bit north of it. So uh, okay, that explains why they heard that. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Uh, a depository employee, uh, Buell Wesley Frazier, um, he had driven Oswald to work that day, testified that he saw Oswald um, take a long brown paper bag into the building, which Oswald told him contained um, curtain rods. Um, after Oswald's supervisor at the depository reported him missing, uh, police broadcast his description as a suspect in the shooting at Dealey Plaza. Um, an officer, uh, J.D. Tippett, subsequently spotted Oswald walking along a sidewalk in the residential neighborhood of Oak Cliff, about three miles from Dealey Plaza, and called him over to the patrol car. Um, after an exchange of words, Tippett got out of the car. Oswald shot Tippett four times, emptied the bullet casings from his gun, and fled. Um, the long brown bag, which Frazier described, was also found by six Dallas police officers near the 6-4 window where Oswald was determined to have fired the, uh, the gunshots at. Um, at the president and was revealed to be um, 38 inches long and with marks on the inside consisting of those of the rifle. Well, Lee, all I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you this. If you didn't shoot Kennedy, you're definitely going down for killing a cop in Texas. They are going to fucking fry you just for that. (laughs) Um, Oswald, uh, he subsequently, after fleeing uh, the police officer he had shot, he had ducked into the entrance of an alcove of a store um, and had been um, had been seen by the store's manager uh, who then watched Oswald continue up the street and slip into the Texas theater without paying. Um, the store manager awarded the theater's ticket clerk who telephoned police at 1.40 p.m. Um, officers arrived and arrested Oswald inside the theater. According to one of the officers, Oswald resisted but was attempting to draw his pistol when he was struck and restrained. Um, Oswald was charged with the murders of Kennedy and Tippett later that night. Um, he denied shooting anyone and claimed that he was waiting a that he was being made a patsy uh, because he had lived in the Soviet Union for a time. Um, on Sunday, November twenty fourth, um, at eleven twenty one a.m., Oswald was being escorted to a car in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters for the transfer uh, from the city jail to the county jail, um, and he was fatally shot by Dallas nightclub owner Jack Ruby. Jack uh, Ruby, shooting. this motherfucker has fucked history, okay? Lee Harvey Oswald is probably the only person in in history that would have been able to really, you know, his testimony about what happened is probably the only legitimate testimony you're ever going to get. And that fucking thumb 
thumb-looking police academy washout nightclub owner piece of shit wannabe mafia dickhead killed Lee Harvey Oswald without letting this man speak to actually hear what he had to say. Yeah, you know, he screamed, I'm a patsy, whatever, but like, you know, this is immediately after it happens. Yeah, but he did it. He, well, I guess we're going to get to that. I don't want to get too far down. Um, so the shooting was broadcast live on, on TV. Um, and unconscious, Oswald was taken by ambulance to Parkland Memorial Hospital, uh, where, where Kennedy had been had been treated and died two days earlier, and died himself at 1.07 p.m. Um, Oswald's death was announced on a TV uh, news broadcast by Dallas Police Chief Jesse Curry. Um, an autopsy later that day by Dallas County Medical Examiner Earl Rose uh, found that Oswald had been had been killed by the gunshot to wound to the chest that he had taken from Ruby. The funniest um, thing is if you watch the video because Ruby killing uh, Oswald is is actually there's a video of it. It's you know it's it's everybody was yeah, waiting for for Oswald to come out to transfer to the other jail and you can hear somebody on camera screaming at him like Jack you son of a bitch or something shit or something like that because they knew who this guy was like they knew Jack Ruby was a fucking he was known to the law enforcement community in Chicago uh, or I'm sorry in Texas. And it's just like, come on, man. Like, God, this whole thing is so bad. Jack fucked up the whole goddamn history. Well, I'm assuming we're going to get into all the conspiracies in the next episode. Yeah, okay. we'll, we'll touch some like some of them at the at the end of this episode. I'm, I'm trying um, my best to hold back. Ryan's, Ryan's filling in for me right now because the but, whole Jack Ruby thing is fucking crazy. But but Ruby um, said that he had been distraught by the, uh, by the president's death. And he said that killing Oswald would, quote-unquote, uh, spare Mrs. Kennedy the discomfiture of coming back to trial. Um, the the, uh, the Caracano rifle um, was was found. Um, it was an Italian um, M9138 bolt-action rifle, um, which used 6.5 um, by 52-millimeter uh, Monlicker uh, Caracano uh, cartridge. Was found on the sixth floor. Any other words you want to throw in there, buddy? <laughs> Jesus fucking well, it is, Christ! It is. It is. Six it is point somewhat, five inch. It, it is somewhat Derek important because rifle. Be, because the the rifle, uh, like the casing and the shell that he used, is also very similar, as Ryan pointed out, to the same shell that's used in you know, like standard NATO weapons, such as the AR-15s that the uh, Secret Service were using that day. Dun dun. Dun. That that the ammo was of a certain size that, that forensically speaking you you could that they're similar enough that they could be confused especially especially after the bullet itself has been you know destroyed because it's been you know fired it's gone through material we'll just say uh, you know it mm-hmm. may or may not have bounced off the street to cause you know to misshape Cause, the projectile because because one of the things about about forensics and this is sort of like the the big big secret is is that like forensics are not like exact even dna forensics which, which is like the thing where, where people like say like dna evidence like proves things but but it really doesn't because like you you like they have to keep on changing like to the level you can use dna evidence like like how many strands are acceptable um how many markers because like human beings share so many markers you can't just look at, at dna and know exactly who it is um, so, and, and the same thing's true with a lot of, like, um, this other forensic stuff, uh, like hair, bite marks, um, just, just ballistics, bite things like that. Bite marks is entirely bullshit. I, I, I will say Yeah, bite, bite marks is a, is a, is a, bite yeah, marks is, is, is complete, 
It's, it's complete nonsense. DNA is but, but ex- DNA is way more accurate than it used to be. It's uh, yeah, it, it's it is, but it's accurate. still it's, it's not nothing's a hundred percent. It's always getting better, but it is still not to the point where it is beyond a shadow of a doubt, one hundred percent, as you would see on Law and Order and CSI. They try to make it seem like it's that, but DNA is. It's fallible. It is not. A, it is not an. But we're like science. we're aware more now of of some of the fallacies with it. Like there was that dude, that um, there was that woman that was killed, and um, when they they had DNA and they ran it, and they found out that the guy who killed her was in jail, mm-hmm. and it so it didn't make any sense, right? But this guy that had killed that they found the DNA of that was in prison, had received a bone marrow transplant from someone and it had switched well, no, that's a, it had switched the DNA of the blood. Well no the guy in the guy in prison had given the bone tra- marrow transplant to the guy who was his brother and it had it had thrown off his DNA who's the I guy think you're wrong who was out of but prison. I think no, so, so I'm not hundred percent sure but I was just it was, reading it was about the guy, it like today. It was the guy that wasn't in prison. Yeah. Who who did it and, and he that's because That's exactly brother, what I said. Who who was who was also a fuck up. No, no, but you were saying that that yeah, so you you were right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'm right. I'm actually I mean, looking bone, it up. Bone marrow is kind of sort of the source of no, like, yeah, because what, what you said was the prisoner had gotten the bone marrow transplant, and what it was that the prisoner had given the bone marrow transplant. I got it. Okay, I got it. That that's where the that's where the confusion was because he had he had given it and the guy he had given it to was his brother who was also you know like a piece of shit like like rapist um, so but but they only had the one but they they already had the other brother's DNA on file because he was in prison this this happened very recently yeah basically the the bone marrow transplant changes your DNA like literally changes your DNA. I don't know that it does it a hundred percent because there are. Well, it turns it, you into. Uh, bone, it turns you into. A, it basically turns case, you into a chimera. It does. Well, I mean, I'm saying if that were the case, then anybody's at a bone marrow transplant could theoretically commit a crime once they've had their new bone marrow transplant. Well, you see, well, you see, Ryan, when you get a bone marrow transplant, it's like in the Matrix when Agent Smith is just turning everybody into Agent Smith to <laughs> become that person. <laughs> um, but the uh, the the rifle had been recovered from the sixth floor of the school book depository by Deputy Constable uh, Seymour Weitzman and Deputy Sheriff Eugene uh, Boone uh, soon after the assassination, and this was filmed um, by uh, Tom uh, reporter Tom Olea of uh, WFAA-TV in Dallas. The footage shows the rifle to be the uh, Caracano rifle and photographic analysis commissioned um, by, that, um, by the House Committee uh, verified that the uh, rifle filmed uh, was the one later identified as the assassination weapon. Um, so compared to a photograph of Oswald holding the rifle in his backyard, uh, one notch um, in the stock at a point that appears very faintly in the photograph matches as well to the rifle's dimensions. Um, the rifle had been purchased secondhand by Oswald the previous month under the alias A. Heidel, um, delivered uh, to a post office box he had rented in Dallas. Um, according to the Warren report, a partial palm print um, uh, belonging to Oswald was also found on the barrel, and fibers found in the crevice of the rifle were consistent with the fibers found on the shirt Oswald was wearing when he was arrested. Um, and, and you have to remember, too, that, that Oswald had also planned to assassinate a, um, a, a former general 
um, who was a um, who, who's like a local like like John Birch like far right like guy. He wow. was like a local Alex Jones. <laughs> well, he was um, he was more than um, he was more than like an Alex Jones because he actually he wasn't just like a guy on the radio. Like like he was like a sort of like a militia leader. Like he had his own um, sort of um, he had his own sort of like group that he was with. Um, and that, like, um, he had he had planned to kill uh, Walker, but he never really got a chance. Um, yes, he fucking and- did. He missed. That son of a bitch fucking missed. He had a <laughs> chance to put one in his fucking dome, and he goddamn missed. And that was why there were a lot of people who were like, bro, he's not making this shot in a moving vehicle when he couldn't hit this guy sitting at his fucking desk from 50 feet away. <laughs> he had the chance. He missed. <laughs> he Look, it was down to the wire. Lee Harvey had the, had the chance to take the shot. And go home gold, and he blew it. He choked at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, he was just like a Muggsy Bogues off. If I recall correctly, he took like two shots, and the first one missed because he hit glass, so it reflected or so it you know deflected the bullet in like off of what he thought it was going to shoot. And the second one hit like a window frame, and they went back later and like got the bullet out of the fucking window frame. Well, but he took off running because he was terrified. He well, it was up. a it was a bullet. And um, they they did confirm through uh, neutron activation analysis that it was extremely likely that it was the the same as the bullets that had struck Kennedy. Wow. Uh, but but he had he had essentially uh, wanted to like uh, kill uh, Walker because he was like this far right like agitator because like um, Oswald's like a really big loser. <laughs> like he, he is a. Uh, <laughs> What's the name of that? Is that is that the name of that movie? Nineteen sixty three, the one with James. Uh, what's that guy? There was a series on you know James talking? Franco. Yeah, the one with James Franco in it. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a mini series. It's based on a Stephen King novel. Yeah, in twenty two sixty three. Yeah, we watched the whole thing. It was good. I'm, lo- I'm physically looking at the book eleven eleven twenty two sixty three right now. I love Stephen King. That is an incredible book. The show was good. Down. You know, if, if you can if you can get past James Franco, the show was good. Man, man, I thought the show was okay because I had read the book first. I'm telling you, if you actually enjoy reading and you can get through, because the first probably I like Stephen third, King. I've read a couple Stephen King things. The, the first probably third of it is kind of a slog, just because it's the like the, the the lead up. But man, oh man, it is such a good story. Uh, Walker the, uh, Walker, uh, funny enough, as go ahead, sorry. I'd say Walker, funnily enough, is being like one of those like like far right like like fascists. Um, he ends up getting like his like his career in fascism ruined because he's also like because uh, he's also like a secretly a closeted homosexual and he gets busted multiple times by the police in public restrooms in like the Dallas area. <laughs> like like throughout the decades, like like he is a he's like a wide stancer that gets it, it's essentially that bit from uh, Hard Candy the. Uh, the um or, or brain candy not hard candy the um the the kids in the hall movie mm. yeah, yeah the uh, the, yeah. the gay <laughs> the gay guy who keeps getting uh Ray won't admit that he's gay and he keeps <laughs> getting busted in all the uh and like all the uh public restroom uh, orgies um a, a bullet um have been uh found um on Governor Connolly's uh, hospital gurney. And two bullet fragments uh, were found in the limousine were ballistically matched to his rifle. Um, so uh, Connolly still had one of the bullets um, in him that, that was later recovered from the gurney as well as two uh, fragments. Um, on a death certificate executed the same day, uh, Kennedy's personal physician 
George Berkeley um, recited that he arrived at the hospital some five minutes after Kennedy um, and through and though Secret Service personnel reported that Kennedy had been breathing, immediately saw that survival was impossible. Um, and the certificate listed um, gunshot wound skull as the cause of death. Um, Kennedy was pronounced dead at 1 p.m. Um, and after uh, heart activity ceased, uh, a father, Oscar Huber, administered his last rites um, to Kennedy as he was a Roman Catholic. Um, Hubert told the New York Times that by the time he arrived at the hospital, Kennedy had died uh, so that he had uh, he had to draw back a sheet covering Kennedy's face to administer the sacrament um, of extreme unction. Um, uh, Kennedy's death was announced by the White House acting uh, press secretary, uh, Malcolm Kilduff, at 1.33 p.m. Uh, the, the regular press secretary, uh, Pierre Salinger, uh, was traveling to Japan that day along with much of the cabinet uh, for, a, for a visit. Um, Governor Connolly, meanwhile, um, underwent surgery. Uh, members of Kennedy's security detail were attempting to remove Kennedy's body from the hospital uh, when they briefly scuffled with Dallas uh, officials, um, including Dallas County Coroner Earl Rose, uh, who believed that he was legally obligated to perform an autopsy before Kennedy's body was removed. That is the craziest um, shit about that Texas area law that they have to do a fucking autopsy and like a judge or something like that, like has to say no, like otherwise it's it's something crazy, some crazy fucking law where like they were going to be like, no, you can't have the president's body. We have to autopsy it here. Like, bitch, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like that that scene in Dr. Strangelove where, where he uh he, he needs to get the the change out of the, uh, the Coca-Cola <laughs> machine, and he's like, "You can go right ahead and do it, sir, but you're gonna have to you're gonna have to answer to the good people at the Coca-Cola Bottling Corporation." <laughs> um, the Secret Service uh, pushed through rows um, um, and eventually uh, stepped aside. Uh, the forensic panel of the uh, the House Select Committee, um, of which Rose was a member. Uh, later said that Texas law made it uh, made it the responsibility of the justice of the peace to determine cause of death and determine whether an autopsy was needed. Oh, that's um, what it was. A Dallas, yeah. a Dallas County justice of the peace signed the official record of inquest as well as the second certificate of death. Um, a few minutes after uh, 2 p.m., uh, Kennedy's body was taken from the Parkland Hospital to Love Field. His casket was loaded into the rear of the passenger compartment of Air Force One um, in place of a removed row of seats. Uh, Vice President Lyndon Johnson uh, accompanied uh, who had uh, who had been on the trip um, uh, was there and he became president as soon as Kennedy died at 2.38 p.m. Um, Jackie Kennedy was at his side. Um, he was administered an, uh, the oath of office by a federal judge, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Tillman Hughes, uh, aboard Air Force One shortly before departing um, for Washington. Uh, Kennedy's body was flown back to Washington, D.C., um, his autopsy was pursu- uh, performed by the Bethesda Naval Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, between 8 p.m. and midnight um, Eastern Standard Time, Saturday, November 23rd. Um, so it was performed. At- I have a quick question. Yes. I, have, I have a quick question. Why did they make Jackie Kennedy stand next to Lyndon Johnson in the clothes that were still covered in her husband's blood while he was sworn into office? Why could they not let that woman go be somewhere I, private? I, I think quiet? she wanted to. I think she said that she wanted to wear them to like show. To, to show to show what to 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 show that like it wouldn't like stop the process of like government from like going on. That like despite everything that had been done, 
like that the that the country was like bigger than that. Oh man! Wow. Okay. So yeah. so just to show that like in like in extreme she, circumstances she that clearly, like the rule of law would she was made, clearly grieving in an incredible level, and they should have put her somewhere quiet and let her talk to somebody because what well, was the sixties? Oh, you know, yeah, just slap sorry. her a couple times, hand her a cigarette. And, you know, <laughs> give walk her it some, off, toots. Give her some Valium and tell her to get fucked. <laughs> Oh, These broads awful. and skirts aren't cut for anything. God, it's awful. Because so you know the picture I'm talking about. You never would have lasted five minutes at Iojima. You guys have all seen the, or everybody's seen the picture. You know the picture I'm talking about, where he's standing on Air Force One, getting sworn in, and she's standing right next to him, and she literally has like a thousand yard stare. And if I'm remembering correctly, you can't see the clothes because like she's got something covering her, like you can't see what she's actually wearing. But like, I, I every time I see that picture, I'm just like, why would you make that woman stand there and do that? Like, let her go be somewhere quiet and just grieve. Holy shit. <laughs> so you have to remember, it was, all, it was also within, like, a, it was, like, within an hour or, or less than two hours of Kennedy dying. That makes it better? Well, no, I'm just saying that, like, it was, like, the, the, like, the amount of speed at which it, like, all happened. Oh, yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, going into the conspiracy theories of why um, the president was assassinated, one of the uh, one of the popular ones, which is like what the movie JFK heavily draws from, is, is what's referred to as the New Orleans conspiracy. Now, uh, and, uh, and yes, uh, Kevin Costner doing his uh, back into the left, <laughs> back into the left. Is this the conspiracy where Kennedy said, uh, I don't like red beans and rice, and they fucking popped him for that? <laughs> Zatarans can go fuck himself. <laughs> Tony Saturese is the uh, spice of the devil. <laughs> I will never touch Tony Saturese ever again. <laughs> Uncle Ben, more like Uncle shit. <laughs> oh, sorry. My mic uh, was muted. Sorry. <laughs> I had some things to say, but we'll never hear them. <laughs> it's probably better and, that your mic was muted. Yeah. That's the case. That, Steve, Steve, an act of God saved Steve from cancellation. I know. That's what happened. <laughs> I've uh, never been a fan of Little Wayne. I don't know, like his music. <laughs> he just uses, <laughs> like, he just raps in, like, like clever, like, dad jokes. You know? You ever notice that? <laughs> Like Lil Wayne, Lil Wayne raps in dad jokes. It's hilarious. My buddy said that some years ago. He goes, "Bro, he's making really corny jokes, but he's got fire ass beats, so people love." He's him. like, "I'm tired, high tired, I'm Wayne," and it's just like, "What the fuck?" Oh my God. You made how much money off this shit? And that, now he's on HGTV. So what the fuck, dude? He's going the route of Snoop Dogg. Now he's doing like home restoration, like Snoop Dogg's doing, like baking with Martha hey. Stewart. Hello, hey, motherfucker. Ice Cube, Ice Cube walked so these people could. I, l- I don't have a problem with Lil Wayne. In fact, I'm never announcing that I have a problem with any rappers because we reviewed the MC Hammer problems. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be in a recorded format dissing a rapper. Also, I'm done. Uh, it's, it's, speaking of rappers <laughs> and Snoop Dogg, um, Martha Stewart where she's like topless behind an apron like yep. coffee or some shit she's doing a thirst trap video uh, so at 81 years old Martha Stewart could fucking get it <laughs> that's gonna be the name of this episode by the way the episode about JFK assassination is gonna be at 81 years old Martha Stewart what? could fucking get it well I'm Please. sure she's had a lot of work like Dolly 
Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. You know, yeah, she yeah. went to jail for freaking stock fraud. Of course, she's. Uh, of course, of course, she's had work done. She's got the money. Yeah. Um, but uh, this the New Orleans conspiracy mainly comes from uh, New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison, um, who who originated because um, uh, his his sort of investigation into the plot to assassinate Kennedy. Because a lot of uh, a lot of individuals, such as Oswald, uh, uh, sort of came from his uh, from his jurisdiction. In 1988, he wrote a book titled "On the Trail of the Assassins," and it discusses his prosecution of Clay Shaw um, for the assassination. It was partially adapted by Oliver Stone um, in his 1991 film JFK. I've never seen it. I've seen Hoffa with uh, Jack Nicholson, but I've never seen JFK. The, the final report of the Assassination Records uh, Review Board uh, stated that the film... Isn't Oliver uh, Stone Cole, a chud? Or is it the opposite? No, he's he's like one of those people where he's he's so far left that he's like actually a fascist pretty much. Yeah. Because he's like... That's what happens. Like, I, I hate, <laughs> he's a Twitter I, he's leftist, like, I hate, he's, Well, he's like one of those people who's like, I hate American leftism, but I love every government that's opposed to the United States. And then he like fawns over like Vladimir Putin. Jesus. His son, his son goes on like Alex. Jones. Well, that's what I said to my brother. We were <laughs> talking about like the political scale. And we we're like, yeah, if you slide too far in either direction, you just fall into the chaos soup. It's, it's, it's definitely, <laughs> you fall off it's definitely the a case of like horseshoe theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's you just, not it, a horseshoe. It's a fucking circle. It's a circle. Yeah. It literally is a circle. <laughs> but the, um, but the assassination reviews record board stated, um, of his um, of, of the film JFK, it popularized a version of President Kennedy's assassination that featured U.S. government agents from the FBI, the CIA, and the military as conspirators. Um, a journalist, Rosemary James, whose articles with Jack Dempsey and David Snyder in the New Orleans uh, States um, item uh, broke the news of the Garrison investigation, stated because Garrison's theory involved uh, frequently, um, it was mockingly called the theory du jour uh, by the media because it was evolving all the time. Which is French for the theory du jour. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Pamela Colliff and Michael Hall uh, summarized the theory held by Garrison Stone for the Texas Monthly. Um, There is a secret government within our government. A cabal that in 1963 ordered the murder of a popular president, set up a patsy, installed its own puppet, and orchestrated an elaborate cover-up that included tampering with the corpse, destroying and suppressing evidence, and killing witnesses. Sons heading of cabal, bitches. Heading the cabal were some of the world's most powerful men, rich and corrupt industrialists, generals, and right-wing politicians. Down below was an eclectic group of mobsters, spooks, lowlifes, and anti-Castro extremists, many of whom were headquartered at 544 Camp Street in New Orleans, including Oswald, former FBI agent Guy Bannister, soldier of fortune David Ferry, and a suspected CIA informant Clay Shaw. Together in the summer of 1963, (laughs) they plotted Kennedy's demise. God damn. Um, These motherfuckers have read the back of survivalist magazines way too much. I'm a soldier of fortune, baby. This actually actually predates soldier of fortune by a number of decades, I believe. I don't think soldier of fortune took off until until the I, late 70s. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, like, because, yeah, because, like, Soldier of Fortune just means, like, a mercenary. Yeah. That, that's why That's why they titled the magazine that, because he wanted, he, he essentially, like... He's a moik. Like, in the, in, in the same way that, uh, that, like, uh, people will, uh, people will make, like, magazines for, like, certain professions that are just, like, 
they're just like ridiculous god yes like like to sort of like cater to that niche yeah like his niche was like i want to find all the people who are going to prop up racist regimes in africa and make a magazine for that i should i should really show you, oh my god show you guys some of the copies of like the firefighting well, and the ems magazines that they they like give to us oh, oh my god it is fucking but, but like but like the main the main like bell like the main thing that kept soldier of fortune going like was like white supremacy and and essentially like oh yeah the the civil war in Rhodesia and and later like in other bush wars in Africa mm-hmm. essentially to get former American and and British soldiers to like go fight for like Rhodesia and they like, did like they actually do. got American like right wing clowns to go to Rhodesia and get killed within minutes of being on the ground <laughs> again I ask you ease up dude I don't want to get attacked with a fucking hammer. <laughs> No, no, no. These are guys who legitimately answered magazine ads to go over to fucking Rhodesia to fight in a war, and they got clapped within minutes of touchdown. Like, Uh, (laughs) Robert Evans did a a two-parter on the Soldier of Fortune magazine, and it is fucking hysterical. Every time you guys say Robert Evans, I think of movie producer Robert Evans from the Patton Oswalt (laughs) pit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they probably probably did do about as much coke, so... About the same amount. So, uh, soon after Kennedy was assassinated, a lot of Oswald's like past activities begin to be um, be looked into, and, and his activities in New Orleans during the spring and summer of 63 uh, begin to come under scrutiny. Um, three days after his assassination on November, uh, after Kennedy's assassination on November 25th, 1963, um, New Orleans attorney Dean Andrews told the FBI that he received a telephone call from a man named Clay Bertrand on the day of the assassination, asking him to defend Oswald. Andrews would later repeat the claim and testimony to the Warren Commission. Um, also, in, in late November of 1963, an employee of a New Orleans private investigator, Guy Bannister, named Jack Martin, began making accusations that fellow uh, Bannister employee David Ferry was involved in the JFK assassination. Uh, Martin told police that Ferry was, quote-unquote, was supposed to have been the getaway pilot in the assassination. Um, he said that Ferry had outlined plans to kill Kennedy and that Ferry might have taught Oswald how to use a rifle and a telescopic sight. Um, Martin claimed that Ferry had known Oswald from their days in the New Orleans Civil Air Patrol and that he had seen a photograph at Ferry's home of Oswald in a Civil Air Patrol group. Uh, Ferry denied any association with Oswald. There was no um, scope on his Carcano, right? He was just using iron sights, right? No, he had terrible breath. <laughs> Lil Wayne, no scope. I got terrible breath. <laughs> what no, it, Lil it Weezy. Had a, it had a scope. It did? Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. I always thought he used irons, and that's why I was kind of... It was, it was, it was one of those, impressed. like... It was, like, one of those, like, 50-era scopes, though. So it might have been like one of those, like, one of those, like, one of those, like, long, uh, skinny ones. From like Battlefield One, like <laughs> no, from like no, have you ever seen the level, movie but... Maverick? Uh, when they're riding the train in the Old West, that type of scope. Oh Jesus! <laughs> that, not the one that like goes to, like the body of the rifle and gives you like <laughs> gives you like one point five times magnification. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I actually I just found a picture of it. These oh, are uh, so these right, are rock so salt lenses. News. Guys, breaking news. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was a fucking chud, bro. Like, he had this all-black fucking assault he, rifle. He had, a, rifle. he had a murdered-out rifle. <laughs> Obviously, he had big-money backers. He was able to afford skins for the rifle. Where is his jacked-up Skins! 
skins for the rifle. I love yeah, it. Your Honor, if you look here, you can see that the loot box economy was the one that murdered our president who wanted to rein it in. He got three kills without dying 50 times, and he was awarded the Obsidian skin for the 6.5 Carcano. Um, the loot box was, economy, huh? The loot was, box later, economy. <laughs> I love it that. Was, it was later discovered that, that Ferry had attended uh, civil air patrol meetings in New Orleans in the 1950s that were also attended by a teenage Lee Harvey Oswald. In 1993, the PBS program uh, Frontline obtained a photograph taken in 1955, eight years before the assassination, showing Oswald and Ferry at a civil air patrol cookout with other civil air patrol cadets. Whether Oswald and Ferry's association um, in the Civil Air Patrol in 1955 is relevant to their later association in 1963 is still a matter of debate. Um, according to several witnesses in 1963, both Ferry and Bannister were working for lawyer G. Ray Gill on behalf of Gill's client, New Orleans mob boss uh, Carlos Marcello, mm -hmm. um, in an attempt to uh, block Marcello's deportation to Guatemala. Um, on the afternoon of November 22nd, 1963, uh, the same day that Kennedy was assassinated, uh, New Orleans private investigator Guy Bannister and his employee Jack Martin were drinking together in a local bar. On their return to Bannister's office, the two men got into a heated argument. According to Martin, Bannister said something to which Martin replied, What are you going to do? Kill me like you did Kennedy? Uh, Bannister drew his 357 Magnum revolver and pistol whipped Martin several times. Uh, Martin badly injured went by ambulance to Charity Hospital. Yeah, he, he was probably heard has some... to be saying, as he pistol-whipped him, he was heard to be said, where is Nancy? <laughs> <laughs> um, early in the spring of 1963, <laughs> <sighs> he was just a time traveler trying to stop her before she just really dug her claws into the government of California. <laughs> uh. Um... Oswald had written to the New York City headquarters of the pro-Castro organization, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, proposing to rent a quote-unquote, a small office at my own expense for the purposes of forming a Fair Play uh, for Cuba Committee branch here in New Orleans. As the sole member of the New Orleans chapter of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, Oswald ordered a thousand leaflets with the heading, Hands Off Cuba, from a local printer. On August 16, 1963, Oswald passed out a fair play for Cuba leaflets in front of the International Trade Mart in New Orleans. One of Oswald's leaflets had the address 554 Camp Street, hand-stamped on it, apparently by Oswald himself. Um, the address was in the Newman Building, which from October 1961 to February 1962 housed the Cuban Revolutionary Council, a militant anti-Castro group. Um, around the corner, but located in the same building, but the different entrance was the address 531 Lafayette Street, the address of Guy Bannister Associates, the private detective agency that was run, of course, by Guy Bannister. Um, Bannister's office was also involved in anti-Castro and private investigative activities in the New Orleans area. A CIA file indicated that in September of 1960, the CIA considered using Guy Bannister Associates for the collection of foreign intelligence, but ultimately decided against it. Um, so he he adds out these uh, these pamphlets that are pro Cuba, but he has this address stamped on there that's that goes to, like an address that's full of like anti Cuba um, organizations and associates. Right. Um, in the late 1970s, the House uh, Select Committee on Assassinations um, investigated the possible relationship of Oswald to Bannister's office. 
Uh, while the committee was unable to interview Guy Bannister, who had died in 1964, the committee did interview his brother, uh, Ross Bannister. Um, Ross had said um, he had, quote-unquote, told the committee that his brother had mentioned seeing Oswald hand out Fair Play for Cuba literature on one occasion. Ross theorized that Oswald had used the 554 Camp Street address on his literature to embarrass Guy. Okay. Um, Guy Bannister's secretary, Delphine Roberts, uh, would later tell author Anthony Summers that she saw Oswald at Bannister's office and that he filled out one of Bannister's agent application forms. Um, she said, Oswald came back a number of times. He seemed to be on familiar terms with Bannister and with the office. Um, the House Select Committee on Assassinations investigated Roberts' claims and said, because of the contradiction in Roberts' statements to the committee and lack of independent corroboration of many of her statements, the reliability of her statements could not be determined. In 1966, New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison uh, began an investigation into the assassination of President Kennedy. Uh, Garrison's investigation led him to conclude that a group of right-wing extremists, including David Ferry and Guy Bannister, were involved with elements of the Central Intelligence Agency in a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. Uh, Garrison would later claim that the motive for the assassination was anger over Kennedy's attempts to obtain a peace settlement in both Cuba and Vietnam. Um, Garrison also came to believe that New Orleans businessman Clay Shaw was part of the conspiracy and that Clay Shaw used the pseudonym Clay Bertrand. Garrison further believed that Shaw, Bannister, and Ferry conspired to set up Oswald as a patsy in the JFK assassination. On March 1st, 1967, Garrison arrested and charged Shaw with conspiring to assassinate President Kennedy. Um, on January 29, 1969, uh, Shaw was brought, um, brought to trial on these charges, and the jury found him not guilty. So that sort of concludes the extent of the New Orleans conspiracy, which again, a lot of these tie into a lot of areas like the CIA. Um, which is the the main one we'll talk about is the uh, CIA um, conspiracy. I was going to say that that the New Orleans conspiracy is very hard to follow. Like that is just and it's wild because they're like you 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 were almost going to put somebody on trial that didn't do it. Right. That's why, well, they, they don't include Ruby in that, but that, that's like one of the theories of like what Ruby's part in it, because he was associated with these people one way or another, um, is that, that he was sent in to like silence Oswald. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the thing that I always heard, and that uh, that Gene Kana and the Chicago outfit and all them were involved. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of like extant like crazy people who claim to have some type of involvement. Just like they all kind of, they all kind of like street cred with Hoffa too. They're like, again, oh yeah, yeah, I know all about Hoffa, and it's like, shut the fuck up, you know. Bumbling Jack Ruby fucked any possibility of having a clear cut answer, or even kind of having steps towards a clear cut answer that we would ever have. Well, su- supposition, right? I mean, like he might not have said anything. He might not have said anything, but, you know, there's no way for us to know. But any chance that we would have had, Jack Ruby can thank himself for being the reason that we know have no longer had that chance as of, uh, you know, two hours after fucking President Kennedy was killed. So with the CIA um, and, and sort of speculation that, that Oswald was a CIA agent or had some relationship with the agency, the Warren Commission stated in 1964 that their investigation... Uh, "Quote unquote," revealed no evidence that Oswald was ever employed by the CIA in any capacity. Of course not, um, because the CIA is not supposed to 
do anything on U.S. soil. And they never have. That is our, you know, firm stance here at the trilateral. <laughs> the CIA has never done anything nefarious on on U.S. soil ever. <laughs> right. As, as 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 Ryan as Ryan does the uh, the, the principal Skinner. I, I injured my hand in a boating accident. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations uh, reported similarly in 1979. That there was no indication in Oswald's CIA file that he had ever had contact with the agency and concluded that the CIA was not involved in the assassination of Kennedy through Oswald. No, because again, it was the Secret Service. Oswald uh, took two shots. One of them hit. Probably would have killed Kennedy anyway. But it was fucking George Hickey in the car behind Kennedy who was drunk getting up with a new rifle he wasn't familiar with and he let off a uh, shot. Allegedly. <laughs> that he let off a shot. Allegedly. Yeah, let off yeah. The and there was there was. I will remind you, there was a there was a defamation case involving that uh, that that accusation. So yeah, be careful. Yeah, but but what happened with the def- the defamation case? I, I believe he I believe he uh, won because it couldn't be concluded that that was what had actually happened. Okay, but you know he can't. Um, prove we'll we'll that talk he about that. Do it. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about that next episode. Um, and that was also more like like accidental the 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 third shot as opposed to like. A, a out and out. Like, oh no 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 like, no no no! I would never yeah, say yeah, I know, that, like, but I'm just, he, he I'm just stating. It, it was the lurch of the car is what is what it's what I've read about. It's yeah, like, he grabbed it in the lurch of the car kind of. Because we all know that the Secret Service loves to like drink and see prostitutes and stuff like this. It's all like well known. It is once again that, that, the, they, the, that they love to that they love to party. <laughs> it is the stance of the trilateral troika it, that the Secret Service does no wrong and that they are an, an infallible institution of the government that protects and, the president with no issues and not just. <laughs> and, and not just in America too, especially in, in sketchy uh, sketchy foreign countries like Colombia. I don't want to get clapped. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, not yet, anyway. Uh, yeah. uh, Gaten Fonzie, an investigator for the House uh, House Committee, uh, wrote that investigators were pressured not to look into the relationship between Oswald and the CIA. Um, he stated that a CIA agent, uh, David Atlee Phillips, using the pseudonym Maurice Bishop was involved with Oswald prior to the Kennedy assassination in connection with anti-Castro Cuban groups. Wow. Okay. Um, right. in, in 1995, uh, a former U.S. Army intelligence officer and National Security Agency executive assistant, uh, John M. Newman, uh, published evidence that both the CIA and FBI deliberately tampered with their files on Lee Harvey Oswald both before and after the assassination. Uh, furthermore, he found, in bo- that found that both the agencies withheld information that might have alerted authorities in Dallas that Oswald posed a potential threat to the president. Um, subsequently, uh, Newton expressed the belief that the CIA chief of counterintelligence, James Angleton, was probably the key figure in the assassination. According to Newman, only Angleton had access, the authority, and the diabolically ingenious mind to manage the sophisticated plot. Um, which is true, like, like Angleton is... Uh, is is like one of like history's like greatest monsters. Like he he's up there with like Kissinger. Wow, probably worse than Kissinger. I've never heard of him, him before. Him Dulles. You, you never heard of James Jesus Angleton? I have nope. not either. I've heard of uh, I've, I've definitely heard of Alan Dulles. I can hear him scribbling note to make an episode about what's his name, James Angleton. Yeah, James Jesus Angleton. Yeah, I can already hear him. I can already hear Steve making notes that he's going to make an episode on this guy. But no, but, I've never. But heard he's of him he's up there with like the Dulles brothers. He's like he's like one of the OG. Jesus. Like, like the OG bastards, huh? Bro. Yeah, like, bro. Like the OG. Bro. Bro. His middle name is Jesus. Yeah. 
This guy. This fucking guy. We'll please see if, we'll please see if it's Jesus. This, and second of all... First of all, he's not Spanish. Second of all... <laughs> What the fuck? Know. I don't know. I guess got, I don't know. They, yeah. they, got a, they got a lot of Hispanic people in Boise, Idaho in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they moved back from Brazil. <laughs> well, he's also like all of them. He's very buddied, you know, like, because he went to Yale and Harvard. Ah, one of those guys. But yeah, like all a these, Jordan all these Peterson guys, like, figure. Like, like, like Bush, like... Well, no, these are guys that actually did something with their degrees. Uh, but uh, hey, uh, that's not fair. I made my bed this morning. But but it's just sort of like like people talk about like skull and bones and why that that's prevalent in like conspiracy theories because like all of these guys that ended up like creating the CIA and like forming the CIA and and sort of like committing like assassinations and overthrowing governments throughout the world to secure American interests and help facilitate genocides. Well, they were all in the same fraternity group, so you, you kind of draw arrows. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, however, uh, Newman would surmise that um, that the cover operation uh, for the assassination was not under uh, James Angleton, but was under Alan Dulles, um, who we just mentioned, who was at that time a former CIA director and later a, a Warren Commission member. Um, who had been dismissed by Kennedy after the failed Bay, uh, Bay of Pigs in, um, invasion. Um, and, and it's also funny, too, is that when uh, Dulles joins the, the, the committee, um, he, he sort of puts out his theory that all, he, he sort of makes the statement that all um, assassinations of presidents have only been taken out by, like, lone individuals. Um, and they just immediately were like, what about Lincoln? <laughs> Which was like a large, like, like massive conspiracy to, to assassinate Lincoln. Um, he, he's very quick to sort of like shoo away any of those notions. Um, in 1977, uh, the FBI released 40,000 files pertaining to the assassination of Kennedy, including an April 3rd, 1967 uh, memorandum from Deputy Director uh, Cartha DeLoc, um, uh to the Associate Director uh, Clyde Tolson that was written less than a month after President Johnson learned from J. Edgar Hoover about CIA plots to kill Fidel Castro. The memorandum reads, Marvin Watson uh, called me late last night and stated that the president had told him in an off moment that he was now convinced that there was a plot in connection with the assassination. Uh, Watson stated that the president felt that the CIA had something to do with the plot. Um, later, uh, Cartha um would testify to the church committee that he felt this to be sheer speculation. Okay. Um, so we'll leave off there with with uh, the the plots. Um, with Oswald being a like a CIA agent, I think that that's pretty unlikely because Oswald, as I mentioned, is is an idiot and a <laughs> like a fail a failure. He's hardcore like, failure. But also he'd been in he'd been in in lived in Soviet Russia for what once, but he had made at least two trips over there. Right. He he had lived he had lived in uh, he had lived in the Soviet Union uh, for a um, for a couple of years. Um, he had defected in 1959, um, essentially um, just just sort of like um, like nagging them okay, to okay, like yeah, let yeah, him yeah. stay. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's and, talk and they, about they, this. He didn't defect. He tried, and even the Russians were like, well, uh, "Get this fucking idiot out of our faces." Well, well they, they <laughs> no, they accepted him. He he got to stay. Like like eventually, what happened was he he, he like he tried to kill himself, or, or he made it look like he tried to kill himself. And then he got put in a psychiatric hospital, so he didn't have to go back to the U.S. They eventually relented to, to letting him stay in the Soviet Union, which they weren't really um, they weren't really happy about. Um, 
and, and then eventually what happens is is that like he he lives a somewhat like boring life working in a factory um and he eventually uh marries a woman uh marina um uh Prusikova, who was uh 19 um at the time in 1961 um so he was a little older than her she was younger um, one of the women that he had a relationship with there who, who wouldn't marry him and, and just sort of dated him out of pity essentially said that she just liked him because he was like a lot nicer and less rougher than the than the other men um, in Russia um, and that uh, they got married and then soon after he marries Marina um, he applies to uh, come back um, to um, the uh, to the United States like he like he had to denounce his American citizenship yeah. and all this other stuff and they, they eventually took him back in 1961 and in which they show in 11 like like he is like mad when he gets back because nobody cares that, that he came back from the soviet union yeah nobody gives a shit <laughs> you're a fucking loser bro you're a fail son like um, get out of here it, and it seems more likely that people were more interested um in um his wife marina because uh marina's father um or or her uncle i should say um, was a colonel in the Soviet Ministry of Eternal Affairs, um, so he was actually like a like a ranking like Soviet official. Um, so there was more interest in her than her like fuck up husband. Right. Huh. And they because because one of the reasons too why they didn't want him to like stay in the Soviet Union because they asked him like like they sort of asked him questions about like the Soviet Union and communism, and he couldn't give him any like good answers. Yeah. So just like like why why the fuck do you want to do this? Why do you want to move here? Which, which is certainly like most of after Stalin or even during Stalin, like they like the Soviets do not like foreign communists because they know how bad things are in the Soviet Union, and and especially if they're in like the KGB, they know how much like better living conditions are in other countries. They're so just like why, why do you want to? Yeah, <laughs> they they like why why do you want to move here? <laughs> why, 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 listen, bro, we barely bro bro listen, bro, we barely have running water for our toilets, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. We still use outhouses in uh in nineteen sixty-three. <laughs> oh my god. Actually, you know, I'm I'm making jokes. I know that there are parts of at least like very, very remote parts of Russia that were using outhouses without indoor plumbing up until like the early two thousands, so and they may still be, honestly. There probably still are. Especially in some of the rural areas they're they're kind of forgotten. Yeah. Um but um, we will pick up next week. All right. We will go into uh, more conspiracy theories, and we will sit down and have the roundtable discussion about how we completely believe the official story. Please don't, <laughs> don't, don't do anything to us. Hey, to the NSA guy that listens on my phone, we we totally believe the version. Of yeah, dude. Wink, wink. Leave me alone. All right. Later. Later. Later.